You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, all of you out there. Um, welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And this is the show where we discuss all the things <laughs> related to God and the Bible. You know, if you know us, you know we're a little weird anyway. But if this is your first time watching, I'll just tell you now. We're a little weird. This is Krista Bontrager. Oh, yes. I did not introduce myself. Also known as Theology Mom. We're just going to keep it pushing, people. Yes. And welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, life, and the Bible from a historically Christian standpoint. So we're not looking we at it, you know, from an agnostic viewpoint or things like that. We're trying not to be postmodern. Yeah. Nope. We are going to look at it from a historic standpoint. Yes. Everything related to culture and all of that. We yeah. are live on Facebook, streaming live, and we are also on YouTube. So, I mean, yes, YouTube yeah. and Facebook. Thank you. And you can uh, join us in the chat box there. Uh, put comments on Facebook. We'll check those periodically and uh, also on YouTube. Yes, this so. is what happens when we are horsing around like up to the 59th <laughs> second before we start the show. Right. We are just kind of all over the place. And we also want to introduce our crew. Uh, it's definitely a family affair here at All The Things. Yes. Working behind the scenes, pressing all the buttons is Mr. Wonderful, Bob Bontrager. Hey, there we are. And there's Emily and the microphone. There she is. <laughs> there's that. Yes. She's our sound uh, engineer tonight, and Abby is getting some pictures behind the scenes, and she'll be jumping onto the chat box later to help me monitor the comments. So last week, we talked to our friend Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Urbanovitz. Yes. That was a great conversation. It was all about teaching children the historically Christian worldview yeah. and why it's important um, and the fact that they can learn a worldview at such a young age. And it's so important because we want to give them a, gr a very grounded foundation so that when they hit 15, 16 and they are bombarded with other worldviews, yeah. they know where, where they stand. And uh, we also, I had a little rant about the Enneagram with, yes. with mixed results. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Monique's not a fan. Not I, mean, I don't think Emily's a fan either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Emily called it a rant, so I put it in the title when I posted the video earlier this week. I was like, okay. Wasn't Emily it, and I stand together. We are two, but we are mighty. It wasn't exactly what I was going for, but all right. If that's how it came across, I'll live with it. All right. But uh, encourage people to catch the replay yeah. if they miss it. It's on podcast, too. So if you just want the audio version, uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. So how's your week been? Before we just jump into business, how are things going? Business. Um, okay. Continuing to process the loss of my friends and taking it one day at a time. Some days feel better than others. Some days feel very fragile. Mm -hmm. Life feels fragile. I'm, if I were to be honest, I'm feeling my age a little bit. I'm feeling like I, I don't know where I'm going in my future, but uh, just keep trying to push ahead. And process the losses, process my life. I don't know if I'm having a midlife crisis, but um, yeah, it's a lot of contemplation about okay. that. But uh, had a good uh, couple of conversations this week that you and I filmed uh, related yes. to um, critical race theory. 
and continuing that conversation. Mm -hmm. Got one of those posted. Got some good feedback about that. Yes. Should Christians denounce uh-huh. whiteness? Yes. So I was just trying to give you that intro so you didn't forget oh. to say the title. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I try to help where I can. I try to help where I can. Yeah. Yes. And oh. we just have other things happening. Yes. Yeah, people. Don't worry. Um, My week was... Yes, how was your week? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask, so I just thought I'd cut you off at the pass. <laughs> My week was, my week was good. I think my week was good. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with someone at work about how um, critical race theory is kind of infiltrating her school campus. Well, I I think that's really interesting because it was a college student. She's a college student. And she's at a Christian college Mm -hmm. um, that's in kind of the more charismatic stream of Christianity. And... Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Like what was sort of her impression of what's happening on campus? That it's very violent and everyone is at odds. Professors have been fired and she's just trying to navigate her way through it and understand. She's white. Yes. Uh, yeah. Probably like 1920, 21, somewhere in there. Yeah. But I think um, very biblically grounded. Okay. Um, and very has a really good head on her shoulders. Um, extremely intelligent. She's wanting and to go so, into social work, I assume. No. Oh, okay. No. But um, it just, it, it was very eye-opening to hear her conversations around, around this issue. And like me not being on a college campus, I don't know the ins and outs of when it's there and how it's showing up and things like that. And she was able to give me some insight into exactly how, um, how it's showing up and how it pits not just, you know, whites against blacks, but whites against whites and blacks against blacks. And, you know, not everyone who you would think should or should not hold a critical race theory view is participating as such. So, but you also had some other conversations with some, I don't know if we call them peers or colleagues, other people who work in the realm of social work and, one of them was uh, a person of color and they were a little stunned by your questions about, yeah. about critical race theory that mm-hmm. you weren't kind of a hundred percent on board, on board with that. Yes. And that opened up a whole nother conversation and they were able to ask questions and I think challenged a little bit of their views, which is good. Like if, if I can just get you thinking about what you're thinking about, I think then that's a win. I'm not saying, you know, you need to come on and believe as I believe, even though I think that'd be great. Um, <laughs> I just think that it's good to question your questions. I also had another question, uh, another conversation with a woman at work and, you know, she was completely, she's an older um, Caucasian lady and she completely is just in the mindset that all whites are oppressive and the oppressor and she's ready to give her um, reparations. And I was like, wow, okay. And so, you know, I shared my thoughts and we walked away civil and just in two different camps. And that's okay. Like the goal isn't to have argument or um, huge disagreements, but to listen and to hear, you know, what other people think and where they're coming from. And I can take that and, um, you know, be responsible and respectful with that. Well, I think it's a good illustration of 
being in those conversations. And we're really hoping that the videos that we're doing will help to equip people to be in their own conversations yeah. in, in their sphere of influence to equip themselves, even if they think this doesn't um, necessarily pertain to them directly. It's, it's out there. It's in the culture. If you're working in a college, it's there. You might just not notice it yet or not be in the right conversations with the right people. But this is really one of the dominant features of the worldview of, of, of our time. And it's coming into the church for sure. So good. That's good. We want to encourage people to check out our series of, on that. And, and we're going to be soon announcing that we're going to be doing a public thing together. Yes. Uh, so excited about doing that. A you and co presentation on yeah. critical race theory at a public venue. Yep. So hopefully this will be something that people will be interested in, in finding out about. And if you want Monique to come to your church, your Bible study, your school, she'll, she'll <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Well, there's that. Let yes. people know. Yeah. Right. Let people know. That's we'll right. come out and we'll have a, a, a conversation. Yeah. I like how you said Monique and I said, we'll, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Um, yeah, but always open, always, um, looking for resources and looking to be a resource. That's right. So, yeah. Um, okay. Today's show. Let's do it. All right. I am going to share a bit of my journey, let people into a bit of my world, who I am. And, um, yeah, I'm a little nervous. A I'll big put deal. that out there. Monique's yeah. a very private person. That is true. I she does really not am. like people knowing things. Not at all. And I didn't ask her about doing this show. This was totally her idea. We had a conversation when I, when we first started a long this show. time ago. Yeah. yeah. That eventually we would do this. Yeah. And so I think the time is now yeah. it's, it's good. Um, I can tell you that I am a little like on edge about it, nervous. but okay. it'll be okay. Um, but we do want to raise awareness. Really. It's, it's, we want people to get to know Monique better because I'm super excited about that. But um, I also think it's important. We want to, the bigger thing is raising awareness about a very important issue that doesn't get enough conversation in, yeah. the, in the church. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about mission field uh, PTSD. PTSD. Yes. So uh, there's not a lot out there on this topic. So regarding to missionaries. Yeah. Yes. I think there's quite a bit of information out there regarding PTSD, PTSD in general. And I would also say that regarding like individual experiences, the experiences can be so varied that, while there is a lot of information, there's still not a lot of information because mine could look so different right. than someone else's. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then later in the show, we're going to address our friend Juad's question. Uh, I did a live stream a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. on like a Tuesday night. It was an odd night. And uh, Juad had asked a question and I meant to answer it in the live stream. And it just completely slipped my mind. And Juad is our friend. He's a, Muslim viewer that likes to catch our show periodically. Yeah. And he's actually been watching like since the beginning. Yeah. Like the very first yeah. week, I think he found us. And so I didn't want him to feel like I was ghosting him. I just, uh, it just completely slipped my mind. And about 45 minutes before we went on the air, I was like, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta do Juwad's question. So we're going to try to tackle that today um, on the question of how can a loving God send people to hell who have never yes. heard of him? So um, hopefully he'll he'll catch the the live show or the rebroadcast so we can do that. And of course we have the tweet of, of the, the week. week. <laughs> oh, so so good, so extra. Yes, um, and it'll be something fun. We'll talk about that a bit. Yeah, and a little something from the Babylon Bee. Yeah. <laughs> and then any questions that you have yeah, or join thoughts? Us. 
join us, share, and we'll tackle those as well. Yeah, and be sure to hit the share button if you're watching us up to help us to get the word out about the show and the kinds of conversations we're having here on all the things. Um, hit the share button. That really helps us out in um, helping new people find us. So, yes. all right, well, let's talk a little bit about Mission Field PTSD. So let's start. Uh, people have been getting to know you the last several months um, as my friend and our co-host on all the things. But um, maybe we should start with setting the context from your life of what were you doing before you went to be a missionary in South Africa? So before I went to be a missionary, I was just a regular person. I lived <laughs> in the States, um, lived in in Southern California, was working in, in nonprofit, um, spent time working in homelessness for 10 years, maybe a little bit more than 10 years, created programs for teens, internships, uh, did a lot of case management, did some program management, but it's all been in social, social work, work okay. nonprofit, did a lot of group homework, like as soon as I got out of college and yeah, from there, just kind of went into case management and then program management and spent a lot of time in program management. So you had people, I, what I found, one of the things I find interesting about your story is you had a very successful career in nonprofits and in the realm of social work. I mean, you weren't just a case manager. You were basically at the top levels of nonprofit, large nonprofits, going to board meetings, doing presentations. You were um, doing big things in, in that realm. And we can, well, I'm going to just offer up this, this side of it too. Like we can't just say just case management because case managers sure. work harder than like me and, you know, going to a board meeting or doing program management and things it's a like big that. Job. Case management is, oh my gosh, it is be, like, I, that's why I was like, I need to get out. I can't do this I can't anymore. Do this, anymore. <laughs> this, this here is a lot. Yeah. And especially when you look at case management for, um, like the county and working with kids in foster care and things like that. It is beyond taxing case managers work tirelessly and with tons of hours. So yes, but yes, on, on, to your point, I was creating programs and going to board meetings and all of those things that let me wear pencil skirts and high heels, which <laughs> I absolutely love. Um, that's a little running joke that we have because yeah. I always talk about my pencil skirts and my high heels. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was doing that and, um, then what and shifted, it was fine. What shifted for you? Like, I think I'm going to quit my big job where I earn a lot of money and I'm going to give away most of my earthly possessions and move to Africa. So in 2010, I was invited to go on a missions trip to South Africa I had never been out of the country. I had no desire to leave the country. My mission field was here. I've always wanted to just work in inner cities around America. And I was invited and I was like, no. And then I really believed that the Lord told me I, this was for me. I was supposed to go. And I did. And it kind of just changed everything for me. I fell in love with the country and the people. I went twice that year. And really saw um, an opening to do a bit of different work. 
And so I went, yeah, I went every year up until the year that I moved in 2014. So first you were doing kind of short-term missions. Short-term missions, two weeks, three weeks, yeah. Okay, and then you decided, I'm going to actually move there. It was cheaper than continuing to buy plane tickets, I thought. I was like, you know, I'm just going to, instead of spending, you know, this much money so many times to to come back and forth, why don't I just move there? So what was the work that you went there to do? I went there for a Okay. Originally, it was supposed to be a year, and I wanted to do a bit of dance therapy. I was going to get kids to open up based on movement, and that was all I was going to do. I was going. Um, I had planned to do some budgeting and um, Zumba with women. You know, get them in not better health, but working in their body and things like that. A lot. Of, you have a dance background. I should do. probably tell people. Yeah. Um, and then. Some women, when they are working with things like HIV AIDS, become heavy around their midsection and become self-conscious about that. And so um, we talked about just like weight overall. And even if you don't have HIV AIDS, a lot of the um, a lot of the like health structures in South Africa just weren't promoting a lifestyle of like healthy eating or a lot of exercise. And so I went and did that, did some budgeting and life skills classes, but um, that I did that with adults and with kids, it was dance therapy and it was supposed to be for a year. And then I was coming home, but then that kind of shifted turned into a different year. Yeah. I, I was like, Oh my gosh, like there's so much good work happening. I can see being here a, another year. And so I came home um, at Christmas and which was scheduled and I renewed my, my visa and I had been praying about it the whole time and didn't feel like I was supposed to stop. Like I needed to stop um, quite the opposite. I felt like I was really hearing the Lord say, you know, go and this is OK. So then what did the work become? What did it shift into for you after the dance therapy? Well, in so some of that had to shift because of the violence we were doing. We um, were doing an after school program. And in that, because of the gang violence, it was unsafe for kids to walk home. And so we stopped doing that. The principal heard of my background in social work and asked if I would consider doing some counseling with some of their kids. And it was like two, three kids. And I was like, sure, you know, not a problem. And that just exploded. And at the end, it exploded into five schools and trainings and just all kind of things that that I had never envisioned or really like imagined when I went over there. But it was all good work. So the area that you were working in, can you tell us what area you were in? Yeah. So I was in an area called the Cape Flats. Okay. It is just I think east of Cape Town. I'm poor with directions. Let me just put that out there. Um, <laughs> What's life like? Life like in the life in the Cape Flats is extremely impoverished. It's a lot of drugs, a lot of gang violence, poverty, um, a lot of kids raising kids, um, grandparents raising kids because mom and dad are on drugs. It's just it's a lot. Like more than a lot of death, a lot of death everywhere. Yeah. A lot more than I thought um, I would ever see. One of the things with the dance group, because what we did do it in a group was that 
the kids would speak about things that they all had in common. So this person got shot last night in the street and everyone saw it. So we're going to talk about that. But no one is talking about the things that really happened behind their doors. So when we went into more individualized counseling, then we were able to really hear the stories. So you're there in Cape Flats. You start working in schools. You start seeing a need Mm -hmm. that these kids are living through incredibly difficult lives. Many of them have experienced death of close family members, often very violently. Parents, family um, family members, siblings. siblings, people that they, you know, just are friends with who accidentally get shot in front of them. Yeah. yeah. So you start doing counseling with them, which turns into sort of a, a, a whole program of all on its own yeah yeah, the counseling the children but also training teachers to recognize when their students have experienced experienced trauma trauma. um some of the symptoms of childhood ptsd talking to parents about their kids and how they can work with their kids on things like grounding or just you know hey how can i connect you with an organization that would be a resource for you in your PTSD. Um, there was there was a lot of a lot of work being done holistically within the within everyone who was surrounding the child. So the teacher, the grandparents, the parent, and you were really kind of spearheading all of that. Yes. So yeah. I partnered with an organization, or the organization that I was with partnered with an organization, and that organization received interns every year, twice a year from. Um, one of the local universities here and they were sociology and psychology interns. And so we began using them to help with the counseling, to help with group work and things like that. We also um, received interns from the South African college of applied psychology cornerstone, which are two of the bigger psychology schools down in South Africa. We had volunteers that would come in who were also um, trained in psychology and, you know, wanting to give back and things like that. So we had a a very well running machine. And I want people to understand like how incredibly resourceful and bright you are because you're basically building a program in a foreign country and harnessing, figuring out all right, what resources can I harness so that I can build an entire team of people? And you're creating like this small army of people to help minister and with children, a resource that hadn't been there previously that to that. And then you yeah. start not only helping kids, but also training teachers, training parents. It really is an amazing thing that you did down there. And so I, I just have such admiration for all that you accomplished with so little and being incredibly resourceful with it. It was definitely an awesome time. And the teachers are definitely awesome. Like when I think about them now, I just, I can't even imagine what it took for them to be able to pull up within themselves the ability now to have to identify this child is working, you know, with trauma and is trying to learn with trauma and the barriers that happen when a child is traumatized. There also is so much, one, there are so many students per class. You have to have such a high level, it's like 40 or 50 students in a class before they will even open up another classroom. Wow. Um, And 
the majority of those students have experienced some form of trauma. So then the, the teachers experience like vicarious trauma or secondary, secondary trauma. trauma. Yeah. Um, and now they're dealing with their own trauma. Many of them live hearing within, the stories mm-hmm. of the violence that the children come to school and tell them has its own traumatic effects on the teachers that the, I mean, kids just trying to stab other kids in class. Wow. Um, and a lot of the teachers living within the neighborhood of the school, it, it was just trauma on trauma on trauma. And I think that what's, um, one of your theories is that at least this section of South Africa, possibly South Africa as a country, it experiences almost like mass level trauma because it is such a violent culture Mm -hmm. um, that people live in kind of low level, constant anxiety about anticipatory violence that could happen to them at any time. And people don't, I think know too much about the details of what happens in South Africa, but just some of the stories you've told me, like there's a, there's a law that women don't have to stop at red lights at night because it's too dangerous. Something, See, something law, might happen. That law. I, I never read that book part of the law. Like when I was going for my driver's license, but all my friends obey that law. So it's sort is, of an unwritten law. Yes. Or uh, that people would leave wire or bricks on the road to make cars oh, yeah. break that's, down so they could rob people. Yeah, I I just read. Don't go out two, at night. No, two two days ago, my Facebook memory was me talking, or I me I made a post on Facebook warning people that on the R three hundred, which was a freeway, going to the N two, which was another freeway, there was a guy on the overpass, like little bridge. And he had a gun and he was pointing his gun and be careful. Don't, you know, be careful if you're driving that way. And I think the other a couple of weeks ago, it was um, I had a picture because I was stopped by a cow. I'm not even not even lying <laughs> while I was on this one road, Baden Powell. And there was a guy with bricks trying to throw bricks into car windows. So, yeah, like there was I mean, it's what the violence there is just widespread and frequent and and normative like normative it, That's, yeah yeah it's very normalized so uh do you have any pictures do we have pictures of any of we might monique's work there that we I, have, I think i i might have sent um oh i did no. i don't maybe they didn't come through i'm so I'm sorry. sorry okay um messenger Okay, we won't have any. We won't have any pictures. All I right. know. I was looking forward well, to the pictures. But you know what? Maybe we'll post some pictures when we post the show okay. notes. That'll be good. Yeah, because I have tons of pictures. Yeah, tons of pictures with me with littles. Yeah, and Monique really has some like superpowers when it comes to children. She just has such a unique way of communicating with them. So they're much more fun than adults. Let's just be honest. <laughs> so everything's going pretty good. You you live in South Africa about four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Then about 14, 15 months ago, you come home for a vacation that you think is going to be about 10 six days, days, six days, something. Yeah, a little, little more than maybe six, somewhere between six and 10. Yeah. But I wasn't supposed to be here for two weeks. No. Yeah. And you ended up not going back. Yes. There was that that one time <laughs> when I didn't go back. Um, so I came back and a lot of things had had happened in between this time. And so I'll give 
It's okay if I just give you a can little, talk about whatever okay, you want to talk I'm about. Just, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, it's, there were some too much. Then we'll stop. There were some things that that had happened. Um, someone breaking into our house, and um, I live with friends at this time, and someone broke in and um, was standing in my bedroom, and thankfully, like I woke up and I addressed them, and they ran off. Um, what else happened? Um, someone tried to break someone, in your car. Someone tried to accost me in my car. And I mean, like kicking my car and now I'm punching the car. And I was I was able to actually drive away. That happened as I was pulling into the school where we were based at. Um, Someone tried to the, attack you in Zambia. Well, there's that. Um, I went jogging and these guys ran after me a bit. Um, that was I think that was a bit. That was that was a little that was rough. Uh, and and someone then, else tried to break into your so apartment I, when I lived on my own. Yeah, um, some guys climbed up my balcony and tried to take the sliding glass door off. By you can actually shake it and it'll come off the track and then you'll have access in. So there was that, and and I was attacked by a dog. <laughs> <laughs> right before you came. Yeah. Home. So there were those things. So um, here you are, a trauma therapist living in. I don't know that I would call myself a trauma therapist, but I did. I do know quite a bit about trauma. Okay. So you're working in trauma, helping kids, equipping teachers. Then you yourself starts experiencing highly traumatic events. Yes. Um, and as and a result the of living there. Yes. Yeah. The symptoms um, that I honestly probably just didn't want to see, like I, my my sleeping problems and things like that, kind of not sporadic eating. I felt like I ate pretty well, um, but I was also trying to lose weight at that time, too. Um, but, yeah, I noticed now that I'm here on this side of it, I can say, oh, yeah, that was this. It was or, starting. Mm -hmm, I have um, I have a couple of friends who said, but didn't you remember this? You know, we talked about this. That is also, you know, part of it. And so it, it did start before I got here. I think when I got here, though, I was able to relax and not have to be so hyper vigilant. Yeah. So maybe we could go to the graphic of some of the symptoms. We have this graphic uh, of common PTSD symptoms. And you're kind of reflecting back now of thinking, oh, yeah, I was struggling with some of these things. Uh, flashbacks, I think, is one that you've really experienced. Hypervigilance is a big one. Flashbacks now, yes. When I was there, no. Nightmares, yes. Um, hypervigilance, Insomnia. yes. Insomnia, um, not a lot of avoidance, rage. avoidance, isolation. yes, isolation, yes. That was a big issue. Uh, um, poor memory, yeah, when I was there and while, while I've been here, yes. And one of the other things that's not on the list, and this is sort of indicative of PTSD, is. Not everything's on the list, but one of the things you really struggled with was reading. Mm -hmm. You you had always been a very active reader. You like to be educated and constantly being re reading books about therapy and trauma and trying to learn more. And you were struggling, but you didn't really realize it because you just kind of made a life shift to doing audiobooks. Yeah, that and I was just like, well, I don't I don't really know what's happening, and I didn't even. I don't even know that I questioned it so much. I just found another way to 
get around to it. handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Audible became a friend and there was that. And that they had a lot of good books on Audible. And so, yeah. So you, you, you come home and last year. I come year, home and I come to your house. I know. Yes, I do. <laughs> I we don't home. really know each other very well at this point. <laughs> we don't need to put it all out there. No. No, uh, I, I came home and um, you met me at the airport. Yeah, and, I came to pick you up. Yes. And um, we had only we, met on Zoom. We had only met on Zoom. We had been like Facebook friends. And yeah. then you offered to pick me up at the airport. The airport is a good hour and like 45 minutes from here. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, thank you very much. Because normally I would like Uber from right. the airport. Um, and But you picked me up and you brought me back to your house. And I remember I had these. I figured I was going to come home like in December, not in June or like, sorry, not December, in April, April of 2018. I thought I was coming home. 2019. When did I come home? 2018? Yeah. Yeah. So April of 2019 is when I planned to come home. So I had, I had a ton of suitcases. So I packed, you were starting to bring your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I packed some stuff and um, literally had two huge suitcases that I was one taking. One of them was just shoes. Yes, that is true. That is true. One of them was just shoes um, that I was going to take and leave at my brother's house. And I bought I brought with me like a, my carry on luggage. My carry on luggage was the only luggage that I had. And I was going to be here for a couple of days. And then, you know what? You tell this story a lot better than I do because I really have no recollection of what happened. Um, But short story is that I kind of lost my words. And there is a word for when you lose your words. And I always forget this word, but it starts with an A. Um, And it like there's a psychological word for losing your words. Um, Yes. Is it aphasia? Aphasia, yeah. Um, But lost them and really... Um, I think before I lost my words, kind of started retelling all of the traumatic stories that had happened yeah, in South Africa, so basically. So on this end of it, what happened was uh, Monique came on a Sunday and uh, my friend and I picked her up from the airport. And She's yeah. my friend too. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we're all friends. And uh, so brought her, brought Monique to the house, introduced her to the family. We went out to dinner and uh, was just kind of getting to know each other. And then the next day I took her to work with me and I thought, oh, this will be fine. I'll introduce you to my work friends. And um, I think you came to a lecture at my work and, and a About lunch. subjects that I had no idea. I was like, who studies this? <laughs> what is that? This? Is, yeah. It was, I think it was on, uh, it was with my friend Ken Wolgamuth. It was on, uh, uh, like radiometric dating or something. And I was just like, Hey, can I get a date? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Not that kind of dating. Okay. Uh, so yeah. And then, so she was supposed to leave on Tuesday and then I remember like it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And so she stayed an extra night and thought, no problem. And then she went, you went to your brother's yeah. And you stayed there for a few days and you had your family activities that you had come to the States for. Yes. Your nephew was graduating. Mm-hmm. And so then um, we were at a dinner party the following weekend. A dinner party that I planned. That you planned. And hosted, yes. <laughs> that you said, hey, everyone, I'm in town. Meet me on this day and time at this restaurant if you want to come see me. And then you posted it to a thousand of your closest friends. And so we're at this this dinner party with all these people that are all there to see Monique. And I start noticing like, 
she's acting really strange and um, going to the bathroom a lot and hiding in the bathroom. I was having panic attacks. Yeah. And I didn't know what was going yeah. on. Someone at the dinner party asked you uh, to tell a story about Africa and then you just pretty much lost it. You kind of went away. Came unglued. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you looked at me and you said, I have to go. And I'm thinking, okay, like, go to the bathroom? Where are we going? And I said, no, I need to leave. And I'm thinking, but all these people are here to see you. And you're like, no, I need to go. I need to, I need to go. And, and we left. And we left. Yes. And so I just kind of diplomatically made up something and we left. And you came home. And this is, she, you don't really remember no, I don't Most remember a lot of, of this. Of this, no. of this night. And I remember sitting with you in the bedroom, and you just started talking for like an hour straight, telling me all these horrific stories of the children and what they had been through. And uh, I really didn't have an understanding until that moment what the nature of your mission work was. It sounded very pretty on social media, but because no one wants to say, Hey, I just talked to this one boy who's in second grade about why his mom killed his dad. Like that isn't, people don't want to fund that. You know what I mean? Like, let's just be real. I need to figure out a way to make this as appealing as possible. And also, I don't want to traumatize other people either. And yeah, I just think there's a lot of of pieces that go into what you put on social media. For me, I wanted to protect my kids as much as possible. So I wasn't trying to exploit them in a way by saying, oh, this is this child's story. That is that child's story. Because many of the people that that were connected to you on social media were also donors. Yeah. They were giving to your ministry. And so it it was all very tricky. And so I remember I was sitting on the floor and you were laying in the bed and you were just crying hysterically. And you're just telling me story after story after story after story. And And by this time, you're like, what the heck? Yeah, I was like, what is happening? And I didn't honestly completely know what was happening. Mm -hmm. And all I kept thinking was, she'll sleep it off. It'll be okay. And after a couple of hours of that, you finally went to sleep. And then the next morning, I woke up and I just felt really strongly that the Lord had said, don't, don't let Monique get on the plane and i'm thinking i don't have any control over that i barely know this woman and i i remember talking to you we were supposed to go we had planned from the beginning to have you go to church with me on that sunday i think it was the 10th of june and you were supposed to go to church with me meet all my church friends and then we were going to drop you off somewhere mm-hmm. after church and then you were going to go on the next leg of your Journey. Yeah. Eventually, you were supposed to go to Paris and then Zambia. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking, I don't know how to have this conversation. And I was like, are you sure you feel up to going? And you're like, oh, yeah, I feel fine. Everything's fine. I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything's good. And I'm thinking, does she remember last night? Does she not remember last night? I don't know what to do. And you just seemed 
kind of off, but I didn't know you terribly well at that point. So I wasn't really sure. But I, I mean, I got dropped off at my friends. Yeah. And, and you very long story short, I ended up having a conversation with the um, therapist that's associated with our organization. And in that conversation, she's the one who said, I really think you're struggling with PTSD. And she had a conversation with our organization's yeah. founder and they um, together said, hey, you know, this this isn't isn't going like you going back won't work. But I was also at that point on board and saying, hey, I don't think that I want to go back. Um, the last thing that I failed to mention was that there was a death threat. Ten days I didn't before know if you I, wanted to say, yeah, that. there was a death threat 10 days before I came home. And so I think that was the straw that just really put things over for me. Um, the the idea that one of my kids and their families would would have plans to, you know, take my life. And, and it would so, be somewhat easy to identify you because you were an American and only my accent. Really? Yeah, I, I think um, people always say you can always spot an American when you're overseas. And when I first got there, that was pretty true. Like I always had my water bottle. I was always dressing with my name brands and carrying my coach bag and, you know, but I mean, I got over that and, um, and I, it wouldn't necessarily be that way. Like people would come up to me when I was at work and like start to speak Afrikaans, not knowing that I was American. So, but what happened was, is right before you flew here, I started noticing these behaviors because you would be in your apartment and you were up at like all hours of the night and it didn't seem like you were leaving your apartment. And I I was like, I wonder if she's okay, if what's happening. And Well, after the threat, yeah. um, I didn't leave yeah. a lot because one of the things about PTSD or, or not even about PTSD, but about um, Cape Town in the area where I was working in the flats is that when they make a threat, like it's real. And so I began to become extremely hypervigilant, which is a symptom of PTSD. Um, and so I wasn't leaving my house. I was super like aware and alert about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, sorry, there was a question. Oh, was there? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Let's see. S. Brooks says, Monique, did you go as a missionary under an organization? Was there prep available for you before you went? You're sharing such great insight, inside perspective. Okay, so here's how I went. I had an idea and I was like, you know, I think that these kids could really use some dance therapy. <laughs> I just think it would be fun. Like they love to dance and they are extremely talented. They are extremely, I think, just kind and outgoing. And so offering that in conjunction with the therapeutic part, I thought could possibly be helpful in just their, um, in like coping or um, like school and all of that. And so I approached the founder of an organization. And I'm not gonna go into you know the organization on all of that with a pilot project. So they, you're an entrepreneur. You had an I idea. I guess so. I had an idea. They are you, not a mission sending organization. They are a leadership organization. They do tons of work around the states and around the world in leadership. So you pitched an idea. I pitched they an idea. They helped you get it funded. They helped you raise support. Yes. And you were the first missionary. I was the first missionary. I was yeah. the only one on the ground in, in South Africa. And 
while I was there, yes, tons of support teams came over, but no, as far as like the prep and going, I don't necessarily know that I nor um, anyone truly within the organization knew all of what needed to happen or should have happened. And so I can't say, oh, the organization failed me on this point. I can say that I didn't know. I didn't research that. I had a really well-meaning and good idea. And And they were standing behind you. They stood behind me and stood behind me well and sent me. And they're continuing to stand behind Monique in in all kind of ways. In her recovery and (laughs) healing process that has been very helpful. And um, so fast forward a bit, you you came to stay with us because you, you realized I'm in trouble. I can't go back to Africa. Something's wrong. We you weren't you you had this this person tell you I think you have PTSD, but what that was really going to look like for you, even though you had taught other people about PTSD, recognizing it in yourself was a bit of a journey. Yeah, to to see what that was and. Um, well, one of the things I, I think that I'm learning in all of this is, yes, recognizing in myself what it is, but then also recognizing that I'm not alone, like that mission field PTSD is real, that there are issues regarding trauma and the occurrences of trauma and how um, how high those occurrences are that to me, people in the church aren't talking about. Now, I because I didn't go through a mission sending organization, I'm not exactly sure what that training looks like. But I know that when I see churches send people, I always wonder, hey, I wonder if they know, well, especially now on this side, I wonder if they know what they're going to see. I wonder if they know when you get there and you live, it's going to look so much different than you going on a you know, a, a two week term. mission trip, even being there for a month, like, you know, that's great and everything, but now you're there. It's just you and your Google maps, you know, how do you make it to the store? And what do you do when the men of a different culture are unlike the men who are here in the States? And so you're on the train and they grope you or, um, you know, people call you out of your name or say things to you because yeah. you are American. I'm not sure how often all of that gets conveyed to to missionaries in their in their mission sending. And I think it really should be like this is not a, a situation for the weak at heart. Yeah. And I think we're very well meaning and wanting to send missionaries overseas. But sometimes we don't have the 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 conversation about, all right, here's some other things you have to know. It's not all just wonderful ministry or even what you see on social media. Mm-hmm. There's some very hard things that can happen. In fact, um, uh, my daughter, Emily, uh, wrote a story for her college um, magazine about your, a little bit about your story and her, another friend that she has. And so Emily just happens to have two people in her life to have PTS mission field PTSD. Um, her friend Natalie, who was her small group leader uh, for a couple years at church, uh, Emily wrote this story, and I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes uh, that's available. And uh, the uh, Emily won an award for this story actually because uh, it was just I think it's such an unusual topic and highlighting what happened to you and to Natalie. Mm-hmm. Natalie, I think uh, she go to India. Yeah, and. Ha- uh, experienced trauma overseas as well. And, 
you know, we need to highlight this. I think more study needs to be done. There's been a couple of smaller studies that we could find through Google about mission field PTSD, but there's not a lot of conversation and not a lot of awareness about it. Yeah. And so that was one of the reasons why we're doing this show. And if you have questions for Monique, go ahead and type them in the chat box. Um, and we will be fielding those. So I think I've already asked There's you most of on Facebook. Is there? Mary Beth has a There's a question oh. on Facebook. Oh, Mary Beth. Oh, now my friend Mary Beth, let's see if I can find it. Um, she They go overseas a lot. They have a mission organization that she and her husband run to help support missionaries. Um, and she goes to Africa quite a lot. Um, and so my friend Mary Beth says that Monique's stories are true of her friends in South Africa as well. There's no stopping at signs at night. Um, yeah. A little earlier. All right. I'm looking. Jackie says that as a full-time foreign missionary, I'm looking forward to hearing from Monique as well. Jackie, oh, you're a full-time foreign missionary. That's awesome. Where are you serving? Yeah, Mary's watching from Spokane. That's awesome. Our friend Rachel Shockey. Hey, Rachel. Shared it. Thank you, Rachel. Our friend Cynthia is watching. I don't see the question from Mary Beth, though. Maybe. If you see it, can you read it to us? It's, I don't see, um, can you just read it to us? Yeah, just read it. Uh, just go on mic. And... Uh, thank you so much for your willingness to go and serve in love. And ministry would come to minister to just you, to serve you by refreshing and encouraging you as you serve in the trenches. Would that have been helpful? Did you have any lifelines in place to keep your heart safe and healthy? I did. So yes, I, um, lifelines to help keep my heart, um, healthy. I always had access to the, to our founder. I always had access to her partners here. I had friends in South Africa. I do have friends in South Africa. My very, very good friends are still in like relationships that I formed in you, South you Africa. You really formed um, a family there. Yes. Yeah. And became attached and kind of adopted by yes. a South African family. Mm -hmm. Um so yes, there were there were um lifelines in place and true to trauma even in situations where you do have lifelines in place, trauma still happens and the 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 traumatic occurrence can still create PTSD. And so I don't know that lifelines would have necessarily um, helped to avoid a diagnosis of PTSD, especially experiencing so many traumatic events in such a short span. I lived on my own. I drove on my own. I was not isolated in that. I became, I believe, more isolated after the death threat, but always at my friend's house, my friend, you know, and friends at my house and things like that. Like, like you said, part of a family and so, um, like short of, yeah, I'm not really sure what, what, what else could have, could been, have done. been done. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I, I definitely feel like I had those things in place. Um, regular calls and check-ins with people in the States Yeah. and tons of very intimate 
connection and relationship in South Africa with the family that I'm, that I'm a part of. And so, yeah, I just think that like in a four and a half year span, I had you are two not, break-ins yeah. chased someone trying to attack me in my car and a dog bite. Yeah. And uh, a death know, threat. And a death threat. So yeah. there you go. You know, and that wasn't by any doing because or anything happening because I was alone. Yeah. It's like you drive to work on your own. Yeah. You know? So But that is a very good question. I can see how if you aren't attached to um very intimate relationships or lifelines that it would be easier to go into isolation or depression and things like that. So you've come a long ways. Yep. When you first came, uh, the days were long and it was very challenging. Uh, you've, you've made, there was a ton of guilt. Yeah. I think there that. was so much guilt about leaving and not being able to go back, not being able to say goodbye to the children. That was a big repeated theme for in the for several months after you were here a lot of sleep problems mm-hmm. um hypervigilance yeah and um, just not not even you know feeling like even if the opportunity was there for me to go back and um i know that my, the organization and i talked about me going back or having someone go with me to go back and feeling so scared that you know, something would happen because of what I had seen there and, you well, know, and witnessed you, firsthand. And quite frankly, I wouldn't I, have been able to travel you couldn't, anyway. You, you yeah. couldn't, you were just too, um, fragile yeah. uh, for the first six months. I mean, it just was really hard. I, I should, actually, I should say more like nine months. The, the fragility got better, but it was, there was no way you were going to engage in international travel. Um, at that point, like in July of last year. No, I remember getting off the plane on June 3rd and having a panic attack in the airport yeah. and being like, what the heck is wrong with me? Yeah. But my luggage was late. It was it was the last one off the plane and I had had my luggage stolen so many times that I was like, not again. And then there it was. Yeah, but um, no, you're right. Like traveling just wasn't on the table for me at that it, point. It, so you've come a long ways. Um, some things are still a work in progress. Um just a few of the symptoms that you still experience or um, I think my sleep is, is, is still, it's a lot better. Um, but nightmares are definitely still a problem. But um, in the beginning you would have like five nightmares a night and, and now you might have a couple a week. Yeah. And so that's, that's the progress that you've made. And um, like being completely vulnerable. Like I had, I took a nap today and had a nightmare and was yeah. completely thrown off and here you are, you know, now asking, are you sure we're going to be able to do the show tonight? So those are the real um, yeah. day-to-day things that people with PTSD struggle with. And it's, I don't know that, I mean, nightmares happen for me. They don't happen for everyone, yeah. but But that's that what it is, looks like for you. Yeah. Uh, another thing you experience is you don't have good connection between your brain and your, so my, um, your stomach or your hunger receptors. <laughs> <laughs> there is a word for it. Um, uh, and I am losing what that word is. But yeah, a lot of times, um, just when you first experience trauma, um, a lot of your own self-awareness, kind, and it's not self-awareness, it's actually something else, but it's where your sleep can become off, how you, um, how you eat and how the, the response of like hunger is in your body. You just can lose your appetite. 
and um, self your regulatory um, yourself being self-regulated and self-regulation kind of goes off. So you'll notice, um, you know, I normally get up every you know night to go to the bathroom or, you know, I go to the bathroom first thing as soon as I wake up and, but the regulatory systems are kind of just a little yeah. off there, but there's a lot, what people don't understand about PTSD is that it's not just emotional. Um, it's not just, you know, my, my emotions that are at play. It's there, there's actual physical things happening in your brain, in your middle brain. There's a lot that's happening. Your amygdala is what um, controls or um, it's like the, the storehouse of emotion and your limbic system, which is what holds your amygdala and um, believe it's your hippocampus, your frontal cortex, all of that, like there's swelling and there's changes in structure and all of that. So there is more to it than I am just having a nightmare or I don't want to be around people or um, I am not really feeling hungry or, t- or my, you know, when I sleep, I, I don't off. know when I'm supposed to yes. go to bed. Yeah. There's, there's more happening. And that is actually what kind of causes a lot of these things. Because when I am flooded with a memory, my body is now responding as if it is now currently happening to me. That current happening feeling then triggers my more um, like the older part of my brain or what some would call like the reptilian part of your brain or the brain stem. And that would send me into fight or flight because it isn't able to, it's only getting signals and it's, and the signal is this is happening now because of how my, the middle brain is responding to the memory. Yeah. So it's so a lot of response and signals things, and things firing. Yeah. And now I'm in panic mode. My fight or flight or freeze is here. And so things what, can be very triggering. It can be very triggering. Yeah. There are things that I don't triggers that I don't even know I have. And something happens and I'm like, oh, my gosh, here I am in a full panic mode. Um, or I can just be having a flashback. My body can literally just be having a memory. And even in that memory, I am now flooded because my body isn't yet at the place of being able to say, oh, this is a memory. This isn't actually happening. Brainstem, you really don't need to produce all of this extra energy and, you know, now having sweaty palms and a heart racing and things like that. You can remain calm because we know that this is just a memory. Yeah. So, because I think what's important for people to understand is it's not just an emotional, psychological problem. It's like, Physiolog- no, it's physiological. Physi- physical things are happening in your brain. I remember when you first came, you telling me, uh, well, my brain, part of my brain is swollen and is, I was like, oh, okay. And there's so just, there it, are a it, lot it, of things that it happen. It helps to understand. And so if people have other people in their life that say they have PTSD, they need to understand it's the flashbacks, the nightmares, the hypervigilance. Those are just the symptoms, but there's, the physiological things that are happening in their brain. And then that triggers the rest of their body. And it's a very complicated um, it's, situation. It's very complicated. And a lot of times people have no control or in most many 99.9% of times people have no control over what's happening. And that can also be frustrating though, for the people who are not inside of their skin. Is there a question? Yeah. 
your experience and testimony are going to bring help and freedom to so many people. Do you feel like your nephew's graduation was perfect timing to catch this before it got worse? Yes, um, I, I really do. I believe that coming home for his graduation was no accident. I believe it was actually God's providence and provision to me, for me. Um, and then coming to stay here, basically, you know, you and I are close friends, but I'm also sort of your caretaker of sorts not so much anymore but in the beginning in the beginning yeah yeah having to uh do a lot to help you know you navigate that really hard space the first three or four months of um you just feeling overwhelmed and i wonder you know how i'm gonna make it um me just sort of being there every day and saying you know somehow some way we're gonna get through this yeah and um that became then the foundation for a friendship. And it really is a pretty remarkable story of how the Lord brought us together. And I still have to remind you about eating and sleeping, but. <laughs> There's that sometimes I'm not, I'm not sleeping. That, that's our running joke. I'm not sleeping. Um, but, but yeah, you, I think you've that... come so far. I want people to know, like you're taking, you're starting to take a college class this fall. Um, that's, that's a big step for you and shows how far you've come and you're working part-time yeah. and, you and I remember that when I, when I started going to therapy, the therapist said, you know, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't know, think working. that you would work for a year to 18 months. Yeah. And so I started, came home in June I started working in January. So, you know, that's great. Um, yeah, I am taking a, a college class. I want to go for my master's. She wants to start and, grad school. You, you, yes, I'm doing some prereqs, and that's awesome. But I think more than anything, um, the idea that there is hope for people who struggle with PTSD, that this doesn't have to be a, a lifelong sentence, but it does require support and encouragement and, and love, you know, and stability from people who are outside of that the your ptsd person's body yeah in in understanding that there are things to say things not to say um things that are completely helpful and things that even in your best intent are crap and not helpful let's just be honest you know like this like it, what were some what are, what are the some of the things that were not that are not helpful to say to someone with ptsd well i, I know one that is helpful what? is you needed hope yeah, I needed a, a ton you, of hope. Like every day I ha we had a ritual in the beginning of me telling you like it's going to be okay. It won't always be like this. Um you in the beginning would be like is this going to be a good day or a bad day? I'd say it's going to be a day and it's going to have good moments and bad moments. And bad moments. Yeah, or not so good moments. Yeah, and we'll we'll um whatever it is, we'll get through it together. And yeah. giving hope was just a huge thing for you in the beginning yeah now when i look at it i think um just i think dismissive comments comments that aren't curious comments that aren't um those are the non-helpful these things. Are, those are non-helpful very because it because it, a lot of times for me anyway i don't know what's happening in my body or, or what's happening in my brain and so to say like well, get over it. That isn't helpful because I don't, one, I don't know what I'm getting over Two, I don't even really know what's, Stop what the thinking trigger of yourself is. as a victim. 
Yes. Um, well, you're not even there anymore. Why are you, you know, continuing to think about this? Yeah. Um, don't dwell on it. Yeah. Those kind of things. Because what people don't understand is your brain doesn't know the difference between being in Africa and being here. When those memories when come. When those memories come. It just kind of all collapses all it together. now right as if it's happening again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a ton of stability, a ton of love, a ton of um, just acceptance. And that doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries. You know, just because you accept and you love, you know, doesn't mean that you have to accept if PTSD is causing violence or causing abuse and things like that. I do want to make that clear. Um, but yeah, so it's that's a bit of there is of my hope journey. it can get better, and but it does take time. You've been going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it took us a bit to find a therapist who knew enough about trauma to really help you. Yeah. So we want to encourage people that if you have to try different therapists. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't That's give okay. Up. Don't they don't all on... know about trauma, even if they tell you they do. Yeah. Um, um, don't be afraid of the different modalities that they use. Um, try it all. Hey, yeah. just, you know, and see what sticks for you. If you are struggling with this, um, yeah. honesty in where you are is always important. And finding a space where you can be honest is important. Yeah. Yeah. So this is good. I hope this helps some people. We've been talking for a while and been, yeah. Some good interaction, but it's a, it's, it's been a long road, but I'm so encouraged about how far you've come and um, just what God's done to, to heal you. We shouldn't minimize no. the supernatural component yeah, definitely. of your journey that your recovery has been um, definitely, the Lord has been in that, that we've yeah. seen great pushes forward in key moments where the Lord, you know, did things to, to just come in and, and heal you more and get you further down the road. Yeah. And I think even, you know, my therapist is surprised by how quick and how far. And that's like his work. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. All right. I am done. I'm okay. just going to put that out there. <laughs> if you have questions, go ahead and ask. Yeah. But well, thank, thanks for sharing because. This took a lot of courage, and, and people should know that it was very courageous of wanting to talk about this. I wasn't sure you'd be ready to have this conversation anytime soon, but... Um, it's a conversation maybe we'll come back to yeah, at, at some point. Yeah, there's other parts but, of it, but... Yeah, I think this was helpful for me. Yeah, after spilling my guts about women in ministry a few weeks ago, I figured it was your turn. There's that, there's <laughs> that. Um, any more questions on... Yeah, so... Let's see what's peop- going on. What's going on, people? People can... Um, just happy now. So, uh, let's see. Um, Esprit says, Krista, do you think that your own testimony of being free from bipolar disorder helped you in understanding and being compassionate with, <laughs> with PTSD with Monique? So I'm going to answer that question, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the answer is a resounding yes. There was so much that she tells me and, and it, explains to me but also a way that she can be with me and sit with me in things that I I honestly in my heart feel like it would have been impossible had she not walked this journey and I will let you answer too but um yeah I for me it's been one of the most reassuring things um in this journey is that I've been able to kind of have like a textbook into mental health um 
that is a firsthand textbook and not such a technical um, textbook in the idea of like, this is what PTSD is. This is what your brain is. Like she says, no, you need to sit down. We don't do anything on this day because yesterday was a rough day. And so those are the things like they're like chapters in my life and in this story that have um, really helped ground me and actually propel me into places where I don't think I would be without some of that firsthand knowledge. Anyway, go ahead and say what you got to say. That's very sweet. I I think that the Lord brought us together at a very unique moment. Um, It's, it's, there's been a lot of, um, it's been very, very gratifying to watch your progress. But to be honest, in the beginning, there was a lot of uncertainty for me and just feeling like I'm, I'm taking a stand for hope and I'm taking a stand for healing. I really hope this works because I, I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what the outcome would, gonna, was going to be. I think for the first six months, we kind of had a ritual every day. One of our rituals, because rituals seem to to help Monique, like provide some stability. One of our rituals was, um, you know, to pray, to, to pray every night, to ask the Lord for help with sleep, the sleep. We started seeing some good fruit of the sleep improving, you know, little by little, and and um, just making declarations um, for Monique of like you're going to be healed and and making declarations of of who she is in the Lord, and those were just things that I had done that I found helpful, and I thought, well, maybe this will help you as well, and um, trying to find a good therapist, uh, going with you on all the initial appointments to kind of interview these people because you couldn't really talk very well. Not only could I not talk very well, but I, tr- <laughs> my trust level people, <laughs> let's just say. Um, and so being able to have, um, to have you there with me, like on those initial appointments, I was able to say, but I don't like this about her, but I don't like that about her. But what about this and that question? And then you also ask questions that I didn't think to ask. And together we were able to land on the therapist yeah. that I'm currently seeing and say, hey, OK, so there are all these good things and all of these good things. And the negative questionable things are extremely minimal. Why don't you try this again? Yeah. As opposed to some where I was like, you know, nope, not going. I guess for me, what because of my own journey, I knew there was hope. And I knew that there was a way out and I kind of could think, well, this helped me. Maybe this will help you. And I would be willing to try some things. Mm -hmm. And I think that watching your slow and steady progress, but also the acceptance of our family. And I couldn't have done this alone. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have done this without the rest of the family opening up to you. It would never have worked if, if the rest of the people in the family, and it was hard. It was hard because they didn't know her. And then she just was here. And there was a lot of hard moments. And I was weird. And then my, my room (laughs) is at the top of the the stairs. And whenever Bob would walk by, like if he would talk and I was asleep, I'd scream. Remember that? Do you remember that, Bob? <laughs> yeah, because I was like, someone is in the house. Oh, God. And then I would scream. And then everybody would be like, what the heck? <laughs> yes, this was my life. I'm um, just thought I let people in. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, look. Let's see what's on. Um, Sweet Sunshine. I love, love, love that name. Um, just hopping on now. Sounds like a fantastic conversation and real will rewatch. Blessings to you both. Oh, Blessings you. to you as well. Thank yeah. you very much. Please rewatch. It's good. Or at least I think it's good. I hope it's good. I don't know. Is it good? Somebody let me know. Um, oh, my friend Sherry. She's a Biola friend. Yay, Biola. Um, she says, thank you both for your vulnerability and sharing your experiences. Raw honesty is so helpful and so refreshing in this world of image conscious social media fakery. Fakery is a word. And I like that word. Yes. Yeah. Nobody has time for fakery. That's foolishness. <laughs> no fakery down with the fakery. Well, it's it. Yeah. Those those first days is hard. And there was I mean, you know, some of my friends thought I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. And uh, some of your friends still think you lost your mind. Yeah, That's some okay. Of them, yeah, they still think That's I lost okay. my mind. But uh, maybe maybe they'll watch this video and kind of uh, pull back the curtain a little bit and understand what I was up to. But yeah. it's uh, it's good. I'm just so grateful to the Lord. All the credit really just goes to the Lord. Um, it's it's I think me and the family just sort of showed up for you. But it's really just the Lord who uh, has navigated this whole thing. And I look forward to all the, the good that you're going to do and as you continue to walk into healing and Thanks. I hope you guys are enjoying getting to know Monique. I, I think she's just an amazing treasure. Was there a question on Facebook? I don't think so. Okay. I'm just making sure. I don't want to miss anyone. I, I know. Because being missed is just wrong. Oh, yeah, we don't want to overlook anyone. I All think right. we're okay. Okay. Um, Bob's kind of helping me too with the comments because Facebook sometimes hides the comments from me. All right. All right. So, so we're done with me. All right. Let's talk about something completely different. Yes. It's already 7.15. Oh, wow. The tweets of the yeah, week. Yeah, we'll, we'll, Juwad, we're sorry. We'll save your question because it's going to take me too long. We're yes. going to be here until 8 o'clock. So. No, no. All right. So now it's time for... for now it's yes, time. do it, Bops. I mean... <laughs> oh, wait. What is this? What? <laughs> what is happening? It's the Tweet of the Week. Hey! Okay, that's hilarious. That yeah, this yep. is our family. Yes, this is us. This this is us. Yes. Okay, so there was that one time when we had a puppet run across the street <laughs> out in front of our yeah. house. That is that's great. That's hilarious, and it is time for the tweet of the week. This is the time where you find a tweet throughout yes. the week that you think is worthy of discussion. And or something. Yeah, you know. All right, so let's flash it up. Uh-oh. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's flash the tweet up there. All right, there it is. Babylon B, couples who occasionally glance up from electronic devices to acknowledge each other's presence are happiest. That's true. I think I'm not a couple, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, know. I, th- I thought what was funny about this is if... Uh, do we have the uh, actual text? Yes, we do. Okay. Um... A new study out by Brown University, uh, and I'm sure this is all fake, found that couples, the Babylon Bee, for those who don't know, is a satire. Yes. Is a satire. Uh, so don't don't freak out. Who occasionally glance up from their phones or tablets in order to acknowledge each other's presidents have the happiest relationships. While many partners are too absorbed in whatever they're reading on their iPhone 
to look up once in a while as though they're aware that someone else is in the room with them. It appears those brief glances are what makes a relationship really tick. <laughs> the thing about the Babylon Bee, I guess they're having all kinds of problems right now because Snopes, which is this fact-checking website, uh, actually fact-checked the Babylon Bee. I don't know if they just didn't know they were satire. Then they were reporting them as fake news. And it's it's a satire, people. It, you might not think Calm it's good. Calm your jets. You might not think it's good satire, but it is satire. But uh, what's funny about satire is finding the reality in mm-hmm. it. You know, of like, oh, they're actually making an observation about something that's true. Anyways, this harkened me back to our show that we did a few months ago with my friend Arlene, Arlene Pelican, um, about connection and social media. And so I just want to take advantage of that and. Encourage people to go back and check that show out in case they missed it. It was a really good conversation. Yeah. So just the dangers of having too much social media in your life and what you're missing out on and what your kids are missing out and on. And being so, intentional yeah. about connecting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. Apparently because your relationship will suffer if you don't. <laughs> and we don't want that. All right. So be sure to. Oh. Oh. <laughs> what? I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> he was checking his phone. Oh. Oh. Well, don't do that. All right. So, guys, yes. Yeah, that's it. We're, that's we're, all, that's we're, all we got. We're done. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. check out the show notes. Um, and if you want to get links, or we'll put maybe put some pictures on there from. Um, yeah, the uh, pictures. Mission. I'll actually um, put my Instagram handle on there. Um, S. Brooks asked me for it. And so, yeah. yes, I'll make sure that you connect that. And also, you can follow me on Twitter at The Real Monique D. Share our show, share it with your friends if you think this information is useful. Even if you don't, people. No. (laughs) No, share it. Um, And then tell us what you think. All right. Wow, that was very different from the fire graphic last week. Well, there's that. Yes, because that fire graphic was a little extra. Um, But we definitely thank Bob and Abby and and Emily Emily. for all of their hard work into making all of this work well. Because all we have to do is talk. And we do that anyways. We do that anyway. Everything else is not our business, not our lane. We don't get into that lane. That's right. All right. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Yes. Yes. So if people want the audio version, it's great for commuting, cooking dinner. Yeah. Cleaning house. Yes. And they can catch the show. I have so many people say, well, I don't want to sit in front of my computer and watch YouTube. No problem. That's that's why we have the podcast there. Listen to us while you drive. Yes. Yeah. And share us with a friend, really. I know we keep talking about that, but that's the best way to help uh, support the show right now, help us grow, is through the shares. And we really need need that. And, yeah. and also, we love to hear your feedback. We love hearing awesome. your comments. Always. And you can do that um, by going to the Theology Mom website, theologymom forward slash backslash backslash all, all the, the things, things. Yes. um you can email us at att livestream at gmail.com you yeah. can send us a message on facebook, facebook. Yeah. theology mom yeah yeah all those places so we are there we love you guys we really appreciate you tuning into our conversations here and all of the the silliness and the seriousness and trying to um follow what we're doing here and commenting about things that our culture is wrestling with um from a distinctly Christian worldview. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we just do want to be in the conversation and to, to think about what God has to say about things. Um, 
we live in some some challenging times, but we still think that God is extremely relevant to what's happening, and, and uh, we're hoping to spark some discussions for you, and we hope that you're equipping, this is equipping and training you to have better conversations with the people in your life, and also check out our videos on critical race theory. So. Yes, and with that, we are out. Good night. <laughs>